0: This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. The holidays, that great time of year when we're reunited with family, giving us an opportunity to catch up and reconnect and maybe even learn a little more about our heritage. I am delighted to welcome to our show today noted historian and author, Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr., His show on PBS is Finding Your Roots. And because he did all this work, you need to know that Dr. Gates is the Alphonse Fletcher University professor and director of the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research at Harvard University. He is a literary scholar, a journalist, and an Emmy Award winning filmmaker who always has something interesting to say.
1: Thank you, Condis. Where does your name come from?
0: I'm told that my name is Cherokee. and means girl who makes mischief. Now, I can neither confirm nor deny the accuracy of my naming, and although I have been told that there is Cherokee in my heritage, I've not confirmed that either. The name, though, is one that my father read in a book as a young man, and he loved it.
1: Oh, that's great. That's a wonderful story.
0: Let's talk about season four of Finding Your Roots, quite an interesting and eclectic series of profiles you have this season.
1: Oh my goodness, it's our biggest season ever. Every year, our ratings go up, and this is our our biggest audience ever, and we feature such a wide range of people. I'm going to tell you about the greatest DNA story that we've yet done. You know Taya Leone, who is the star of Madam Secretary? Yes, I do. Well, Taya's mother, Emily Ann Patterson, was adopted when she was a six-year-old baby, and she never learned the names of her biological parents. And Taya and her mother argued about whether she should be in Finding Your Roots. And, you know, it's a, very, it's a long shot. Um, you have to be very, very lucky uh, in order to, unless you can get the records unsealed, but just through DNA, if you can find the identity of an adoptee's birth parents. So we have a brilliant... Uh, genetic genealogist on her staff, Cece Moore of San Diego. And so she began, and she compared Emily's DNA to the DNA of 6 million people in all of the DNA databases, hoping to find a close relationship. And it worked, the logic works like this. If two people share a significant amount of DNA, this means that they share a common ancestor or ancestral couple. So as she identified DNA matches for Emily, Cece built out family trees for each of them, trying to find these shared common ancestors. And eventually, after months, she narrowed the maternal candidates down to two women, a set of sisters named Irene and Abilene Gindrat. We reached out to Abilene's daughter. She agreed to take a DNA test. We got the results. Boom, slam dunk. It proved that Abilene was Emily Ann Patterson's mother and Taye Leone's biological grandmother. We had found the answer. We had solved the mystery. And then Cece said, what the heck? She used the same process to look for Emily's biological father, and she found them. It was a man named Sumter Daniel, and um, Sumter Daniel and uh, Emily's mother were living in a rooming house. At the same time, we actually found that out, and that's where their connection, as we say, occurred. And we were able to trace uh, Taya's, grandfather's family back to her seventh great-grandfather, a man named William O'Daniel, and his son, say sixth-great-grandfather, John, was born in Virginia, was a major landowner, and owned an estate right next door to George Washington's Mount Vernon. He was a friend and neighbor of George Washington. Isn't that an amazing Story to be able to, to uh, share with someone.
0: You seem to discover something bigger and more impressive with each season of this program.
1: Well, you know, one reason is because our methods get better and better, because the databases get bigger, and more um, is digitized, the DNA science advances. The, you know, one day everybody will be in a DNA database. It makes some people uncomfortable, but it's probably inevitable, and then every... Uh, adoptee will be able, if, if everybody was in a DNA database, there would be few um, mysteries about who one's biological um, parents were. But we solve other mysteries as well. Look at Brian Gumbel's story. Brian Gumbel wanted us, we always say, What do you want to know? And he said, There are no other Gumbles that I know of. Where'd that name come from? So we looked and looked and looked, and finally we found it. We found an 1863 passenger list for a ship called the SS Germanic that established that Brian's great-great-grandfather was a man named Carl Gumbel, who arrived in America as a 16-year-old from Germany. So then we went to Germany to look at the records, and we uh, traced Carl's family back to a small town called Albesheim, Germany, and ultimately we found out that Brian's fourth-great-grandfather, his great-great-great-great-grandfather, was a man named Elias Gimple, and the name got changed, and he was Jewish. And then we did his DNA. Brian Gumbel is 7% Ashkenazi Jewish. So there you have it. And, and overall in this admixture, Brian is 60, just over 60% um, European, 65% European, 34% Sub-Saharan African, and 0.5% Native American. So that solved his family story. So you see we're using a combination of paper records. With the latest advances in genetic analysis to reveal secrets hundreds of years old, that we' never be, been able to, you would never be able to find otherwise. And these are um, people who cry or are so deeply moved, they, they can't imagine until you do the series or see the series, how emotional it is to uncover the identities of your own bloodlines, the people to whom you're connected on your family tree through genetics. It's astonishing, and it astonishes me every week uh, to see how moving this can be for for people. At first, when I started the series in 2005, I only did African Americans, Um, because it just never occurred to me that other people were as unaware as African Americans are about their family tree. And then a Russian Jewish lady wrote to me and said, what, what, "What are you a racist?" You know, made me laugh. She said, "You need to do white people." So I said, "Oh my goodness, when are we going do white people?" So then we decided, "Yes, but we would do people of European descent, people of Asian descent, Indian descent, Jewish descent, Muslim descent, uh, Hindu descent, everybody from around the world." And the result, we changed the name to Finding Your uh, Roots. I'm sorry, we changed the name to Finding Your Roots and the result is one of the biggest programs on PBS and it's such a pleasure for me to be able to give people these
0: gifts how do you go about finding the people to profile on finding your roots i'm sure at this point you have no shortage of candidates
1: oh we have a waiting list of over 100 people if you go to our offices in uh brooklyn where our uh, media company is the there's a board and we're always imagining pairings of people who are at the same um, occupation or people who are related in some way. Like one of our biggest shows this season was Larry David and Bernie Sanders. How are they related? Well, because Larry David has, for the last couple of years on Saturday Night Live, been doing a show, um, a routine in which he imitates Bernie Sanders, and he has it down to a T. And when we analyze their DNA, guess what? They're cousins. They share long, identical segments of um, DNA on their 7th, ninth, and 11th chromosome. And that's not random. It means that if they both had an ideal family tree, there would be an individual, at least one individual, who lit up on both family trees. They're descended from the same person. It's incredible. Um, and who would have known that? They both went crazy, basically, when we <laughs> When we gave them that information,
0: we're almost out of time, Dr. Gates, but I had two other quick questions I wanted to ask you. Number one, what do you say to people who are skeptical about DNA technology and having their DNA on file somewhere and wondering, well, what's going to happen to it after I find out what I want to know?
1: Well, it's a good concern, but every DNA company that we work with, uh, Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, and Family Tree, are dedicated to protecting the privacy of all the people in their databases and they've pledged not to turn it over to law enforcement or, um, to violate that confidentiality. And, and, and in fact, when we have a guest, um, we have them in the database under a pseudonym, under a made up name that only, uh, a couple of the producers and I have access to. So we're, it, it is a valid concern, but, um, it's, it's, that concern is being met by the companies um, involved, and we have to be vigilant. But, you know, this, this information is very valuable. One, as you well know, sponsorship is very important to the life of your program. And I like to quote one of our sponsors, uh, AT&T. And AT&T says that they help grow the dialogue around diversity in the global community effort that is needed to conquer discrimination, increase cultural awareness, advance racial harmony in our society. And we can do that in part through DNA analysis, because DNA analysis shows that there is no racial purity, that the fantasy world that white supremacists claim never existed. It has never existed. You could take the whitest person you know right now, if you trace their ancestors back, theoretically, if it were possible, to 50,000 years ago, they were all black Africans, all human beings came out of Africa 50,000 years ago. This is a fact, and it makes some people uncomfortable. Even when we did Stephen Colbert, now the DNA analysis we do only traces your ancestry back 500 years. It's called your admixture, back to about the time of Columbus. But even then, everybody's mixed. We did Stephen Colbert, who was a radical Irish nationalist, (laughs) half-jokingly, but he loves his Irish roots. One of his... um, um, ancestors was a Lutheran from Germany, <laughs> and, which totally blew Stephen's mind. We're all mixed. The average African American is 24% European. 24% European and only about 1% Native American. Almost no DNA company has ever tested a black person who was 100% Sub Saharan African in their genome. That means, and, and look at Brian Gumble, 65% European, 7% Ashkenazi Jewish. Carly Simon, whose grandmother was pretending to be the, the daughter of an illicit relationship between the king of Spain and a Moroccan slave, Carly Simon's grandmother was 40% black from Cuba. That's what she was hiding. Carly's mother, 20% black. Carly, 10% black. And you know, that means back in the day, in the laws of one, the one drop rule, well, Carly would have been considered black. And no, she had no idea until she did the season of Finding a Root. So like the AT&T motto says, this show shows that we're all connected and that we need to get connected by doing our our roots. And I would encourage anyone listening to go to their local library, seek out or their local genealogical society, order a DNA kit, and begin that precious search to find your long-lost ancestors.
0: I can't offer any better advice than that. Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr., the show is on PBS, most successful program on PBS, Finding Your Roots. Uh, Happy holidays, sir, and thanks for your time.
1: Thank you so much. (laughs) Merry
0: Christmas. Merry Christmas, indeed. Thank you, Dr. Gates. Have a great day. Thank you. Next. We spend a few minutes with Don Vassell. He's the CEO of the 100 Black Men of Atlanta, the 100, one of Atlanta's strongest African-American volunteer organizations. They are focused on education, enrichment, and empowerment through mentorship and community service. Their long-term goal is to create an educated workforce of well-rounded individuals who understand the importance of giving back to the community. Don, so nice of you to join us today.
2: Hi, good morning, Condis. Nice to see you.
0: One program started by the 100 Black Men of Atlanta is called Project Success. Don, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Sure, no, absolutely. The organization, the 100 Black Men of Atlanta, is 31 years old. And there's three programmatic components to it. And the flagship program is Project Success. Uh, It's 30 years old, and it's as you described it. It's our college preparatory tuition assistance program. And we've gone through phase uh, four phases of it so far today. And uh, we have a number of kids uh, currently in college, uh, about 68 or so. Uh, and we provide them a number of services during Project Success. After school tutoring, uh, Saturday school, where we uh, teach them uh, about uh, life skills that are important for successful lives in terms of your leadership. Uh, economic empowerment, financial literacy is part of that. And as they successfully go through that rigorous program and they go on to college, Uh, We provide them tuition assistance in the form of $6,000 a year for four years. So we try and support them through high school, through uh, college, and we've seen very good results. Uh, We've seen um, uh, the the participants that have gone through Project Success, uh, 100% have graduated high school. And those that have gone on to college, 98% go on to college. And of those, 80% actually graduate from college. So we over-index all the national averages
0: the 100 have to be proud of those statistics.
2: We're very proud of them uh, because we uh, we know how important education is and how it's such a great equalizer uh, for the community. Uh, we all know that Atlanta, uh, one of the unfortunate distinctions Atlanta has is that it's a uh, city known for really a tale of two cities. Uh, there's a significant equity issue here in Atlanta in terms of income inequality. And one of the greatest ways to address that is uh, giving young people, anybody really, a chance at higher education, and that's what we're all about.
0: Am I correct in remembering that Project Success started out by adopting a class at Atlanta's Harper Archer High School way back when?
2: That's exactly right. You look too young to really remember that. So um, that's exactly right. It started back then with a gentleman by the name, of Nate Goldstein, who was the founder of the organization and has uh, really uh, spawned from there. Uh, Now we address all the Atlanta public school systems uh, we actually have a deep relationship with one in particular, Best Academy, the all-boys school on the west side, uh, where we um, have a really in-depth program, uh, which includes financial literacy, but other aspects as well.
0: So Project Success is one of the signature programs of the 100 Black Men of Atlanta. You said there are a couple of others. Tell me about those.
2: Yeah, so there's really three areas uh, that we focus programmatically. So Project Success is the, uh, the program that I just described. Uh, the second area is around STEM. And uh, one of our uh, members, his name is uh, Dr. Lonnie Johnson, he's a former NASA scientist, but really uh, is most well known as the inventor of the super soaker. And we, uh, the 100, we conduct a robotics program out of his Decatur facility, uh, where we uh, really teach young people about um, technology and STEM literacy. But actually what's really uh, important in that program is that these kids learn how to uh, work in teams, and they learn how to project manage, Uh, they learn how to sell their ideas, Uh, public speaking is a big part of it, Uh, marketing their ideas. So it's a really holistic opportunity for them, not only from a technology standpoint, but also some of the softer skills that are required uh, in order to be successful uh, in the future life. Uh, The other areas I just touched on very briefly is Best Academy, uh, where we touch uh, a lot of those young people through what we call the pathway of development success. So they're very structured programs um, focused on vertically. Uh, So we have a STEM program there, Uh, We have a military program there. We have a music program there. So we have all various areas of interest that the young people can look at from a career standpoint. And for example, on the music standpoint, we just don't tell them about artists. We tell them about um, the audio engineers, and we tell them about uh, other uh, venues, marketing that you can get into from a music perspective, not just uh, the ones that are visible uh, to the uh, average day person.
0: Now, who are the 100 Black Men of Atlanta?
2: You know, our membership uh, consists of uh, really uh, distinguished um, uh, people that have been accomplished in their careers. Uh, so it, there's a broad range of senior corporate executives, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, educators. Uh, Anyone that really wants to be uh, engaged civically and wants to give back, Um, all of our members uh, today um, are uh, uh, mentoring young people in some form or fashion. Uh, But really what's unique about our organization is that there's these 100 members, but uh, one of the things that's not really well known is that there's two other parts to it, which is the Emerging 100, which is an auxiliary organization. Uh, It's uh, young professionals aged 25 to 35. They just haven't aged in to... Uh, become a 100 member yet. And the uh, third part is what we call the Collegiate 100. And so these are college students in the Metro Atlanta area that are civic minded, want to get engaged. And um, and we have kids from uh, Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse, Spelman, Georgia Tech, Emory. Uh, we have about 100 kids uh, in the Collegiate 100. And actually, uh, we're going to bring in about another 100 more uh, probably in the next few weeks. So we really like the fact that uh, there's three tiers to the organization because each one of those parts of the organization touches these young people in the secondary schools. And, um, and so if there's a, um, uh, a specific need around a young person, we typically can fulfill it either through the Collegiate 100, the Emerging 100, or the 100 membership itself.
0: Now again, to what degree are the 100 involved with the young people who are mentored through many of the programs that the organization supports?
2: Um, well, you know, the, the, the mentorship um, naturally builds a relationship there, and it's a, it once becomes deep-rooted, and it's a lifelong relationship. So we have uh, members that have a significant amount of tenure, 20-plus years, uh, that have not only uh, mentored their young people through secondary school and college, but even through their um, professional careers as well. And what's really uh, great is that we've had uh, one of our first Project Success students actually become a 100-member. And uh, it's been great because now he actually has given back uh, into uh, the secondary stu- students as well. So it's a lifelong commitment.
0: How did you know that's what I was going to ask you? I thought <laughs> we've had 30 years of project success. Surely we've had a graduate emerge to join the 100. And you've already told me who that is. Yep, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity.
0: So like most nonprofits, I assume that members of the 100 contribute to the organization. In addition to that, how does the organization raise its money?
2: Yeah, so uh, today we really get our, uh, our funds uh, directly from three sources. I think uh, most importantly uh, when my head of development, Suzanne Morris, and I go and visit uh, folks, uh, the first thing they ask is how are the members contributing. And so the members have skin in the game. They, they, they uh, contribute in a very significant way. Uh, the dues associated with the organization is probably roughly around 10% of uh, what we collect as an organization uh, from a revenue standpoint. Uh, the other areas are donations corporately. Uh, because we have um, a number of um, relationships from a corporate standpoint, uh, we are successful in um, uh, matching up the corporate social responsibility initiatives of these corporations with the mission of the 100 and a successful way to uh, develop the outcomes that are necessary. Uh, And then the third area really is around uh, events. Uh, We have a number of uh, marquee events that we're known for, Um, uh, ones that are coming up right now. uh, We have a partnership with ESPN called the Celebration Bowl uh, that's going to happen December 16th, uh, which is really the national championship of the HBCUs, the Historically Black College and University. It's going to be a great game, uh, primarily uh, because, look, the bands are going to be there, but it's going to be in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for the community Uh, that perhaps doesn't get an opportunity maybe to go to the Falcons game, this is going to be a very affordable game for them to be able to experience the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So December 16th is going to be a great day for um, not only, I think, the 100, but also for Atlanta.
0: Absolutely. If you're in the new stadium, everybody loves that place. It is a palace. Now, you guys are on a, a great start to raise money for the organization. Are there ways that others in the community, folks like me and some of the guests in the room, might be able to help you guys out?
2: Absolutely. Look, I mean, uh, one of the initiatives that uh, uh, I I came on a little over 18 months ago and and Suzanne, who's my head of development, came on a little bit over a year ago. One of the things that we want to do is make people aware that they can contribute um, to the uh, to the organization. So we want to really build up that individual donations. And, uh, you know, we have a website. You go out to the website, the 100blackmen-atlanta.org. And you can go there to donate Buttons right there at the top, uh, and you can definitely contribute to the organization. We have social media pages on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, so we're, as long as you just put in 100 Black Men of Atlanta, you can see us. And uh, please support the organization because you're not supporting the 100 Black Men. What you're doing is supporting the Atlanta community and these young people.
0: Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29, on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.